Now, I hope when we sing these songs that these words are meaning something to you. That's one thing about Brother Hale's songs. He tells you about how God saves a sinner. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ died for lost sinners. See, everybody's a sinner. Everybody is lost in reality. But very, very few people are lost personally, knowing that they are lawbreakers, that God who writes the rules puts them in this book, says if you break the rules, you're going to go to hell. And people don't even like you to mention going to hell. But we're all lawbreakers. And that's what Brother Hale said there, the guilt and sinfulness that's in you and me. You're always going to be a sinner. You're going to be a sinner till the day you quit breathing. But there's such a great difference in being a lost sinner and a saved sinner. And people don't even want to hear that word saved. And saved from what? Why, we live in a free country. We, can, we got a good job. We got, hey, the Bible speaks about being saved, which means you have to be redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the way God has set this thing up. This is his plan of salvation. And nobody can interfere with it or change it because there's no other way. He said pure, sinless, spotless blood is the only thing required for the payment of sin. All the gold and silver and jewels in the whole world stacked together offered to God for the payment of one sin would not get it. But one drop of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ would be enough to take care of everybody. But that's not how the law reads. It said it has to be all the blood and the life from the sacrifice in order to pay for sin. So that's why we preach. That's why we, we, we like to talk to you, why, why we, we want to give you a, a Bible and want you to read it and learn about Christ, because it's your only hope in life. Whether you're young or old, whether you're a teenager or an old fogey like I am, you've got to know about Christ and you've got to come to him. Well, this song purposely was great because it says that God purposely does things in your life to bring you to him. If you reject him, if you reject knowledge, if you don't want to learn about it, uh, it just shows God's passing you by. Because everyone that Christ died for, sometime in their life, they're going to get so excited about coming to know him because they know they're headed for hell. It's an excitement, but it's a great fear. If God lets you alone, you will spend eternity in hell. Okay, that's not our message. I'm just kind of talking to you now. Let's see what we got for you today. Oh, let's turn to the 17th chapter of John. John 17. Now, John 17 happens to be the Lord's Prayer, okay? The Lord Jesus Christ is talking to his Father. He's not talking to the disciples. He's not talking to, to a group of people. He's talking to his Father. He is equal with the Father. The Father sent him. If the Father sent him, that means the Father loves us also, or he wouldn't have sent him. Okay? Now, let's just read well up to verse 
four. One, two, three, and four. These words spake Jesus and lift up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh. Now, do you know what that just, what you just read? The Lord Jesus Christ, even before he was crucified as a person, had power over every living person in the world. What did he do with that power? Let's read it. That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. He don't use that power to put down nations, put down kings, put people in office, kill people. No. To give eternal life to those the Father gave him. And this is eternal, a life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Let's bow our heads. Father, again, we thank you and praise you for thy word. Thank you for each one you've sent out here this morning. How wonderful look into the congregation and see two great grandchildren and to see a multitude of grandchildren how wonderful and I thank you for that but we pray this morning that thy spirit will teach our hearts open hearts to see the truth about having to know the Lord Jesus Christ we pray in his precious name amen well, what part are we going to use out of those four verses? Well, let's go with, uh, I have finished the work. That's in verse four. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ has not been crucified here. He's merely praying to his father. He's speaking heart to heart with God the Father. And this is the night that he was taken captive and uh, taken for the trial and all. This is all within a, within a 24-hour span. But he's saying here that I have finished the work. Well, this work has to do with what? With giving eternal life to those the Father gave him. This is salvation. This is God's plan, not man's plan. Man would never, couldn't even dream of anything like this. That the one who is offended, the one who makes the law, the one who has all power, the one who has given us this book, the one whom we sin against, would show such love for those rebellious sinners. And that's each and every one of us. We never start out as a believer. We start out as an object going to hell. Because we don't know who God intends to save. Once God quickens a heart and gives you an interest in Christ, that's a good, that's a good foundation, that's a good recommendation that God's going to give you eternal life. But we never know that until Christ is revealed to your heart. Then you know that he has loved you from eternity and you were never headed for hell. But normal people are until they know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's kind of mysterious. I'll never understand it. And Brother Hale in his song said, 
Lord, wait, uh, your great love. He said, uh, I just can't understand. He said, but let me try. Just let me try to understand it. And how do we do that? Search the scriptures, learn about Christ, see that God has loved you from eternity. The Lord Jesus Christ has loved you from eternity. The Holy Spirit has loved you from eternity. He's given you life. He's put you under a gospel. He's given you a book. He's uh, let you learn a little bit about it. All of these things God does in the life of a believer. Okay? Now, this finishing the work, where, 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 did, where did this all begin? Where did it start? Well, I tell you what. It started back in eternity. And if you want to read about that in the scripture, we'll turn to Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8, the 8th chapter of Proverbs. And if you got a Bible like mine, it's going to be on page, uh, oh, 981. This chapter is telling you about wisdom. The Lord Jesus Christ is our wisdom. We, we're going to read that scripture in just a moment. But this is about God's wisdom, and it's about Christ. And it starts with verse 22. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. Now, the, all of this is before there was any creation. This is a Bible language telling you that this plan was going into effect before anything was created. But if you want it in human language to learn to uh, try to understand about mountains, about waters, about oceans, about, well, let's read it. Verse 24, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. And while as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. Uh -huh. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment. Isn't this interesting? What's that decree? He just put some sandy seashores here and there, and the waters don't go any further. That's their limit. When he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight. You mean there was a kind of a party atmosphere in heaven before anything was created? Yeah. Daily is delight. Rejoicing always before him. Well, what's all this party attitude about? Rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth, which was going to be. You see, it wasn't as yet. And my delights were with the sons of men. The Lord Jesus Christ was going to save some of Adam's race. And that was the rejoicing in heaven, and it's still a rejoicing today. All right, now let's look at John 5 and verse 36. John 5 and verse 36. Remember, we're talking about our Lord in his prayer. It said, I have finished the work. Verse 36 here in John 5. But I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish. Oh, the, so the Father did give him works to finish. 
the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And now look at Hebrews 13 and verse 20. Hebrews 13 and verse 20. This is going to tell you that there was an eternal covenant. A covenant is kind of an agreement between more than two or more than one person. It has to be within here. It's three persons. It says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Everlasting means eternal. Uh, the blood is mentioned way back before anything was created. This was going to be God's plan. Had to be the blood. And now uh, this blood had to be sinless, spotless. And only the Lord Jesus Christ ever had that. And he voluntarily said, I will give it. If this is the law, and I've made the law, I will fulfill it for those you gave me. Now, there's a, a progression in time of the promise about this plan to come into effect. So it starts in the garden. And look at Genesis 3 and verse 15, way in the front of the Bible. Genesis 3.15 This is right after our Lord is uh, confronting Adam and Eve after Adam willfully disobeyed God. I mean willfully. He knew better. He wasn't fooled. But there's some kind of an attachment between male and female that he would rather have his woman than to obey God. Well, here's what happens. Our Lord's speaking. He's really speaking to Satan at the time, but Adam and Eve are listening in. And I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. You see, there's your clue. Women do not have the seed. Men have the seed. Her seed is going to be something most unusual, a virgin birth. With no human father. That's going to be her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. So that's how it started back in the garden. Uh, and then God had to show him a little bit about blood redemption. And uh, in 321, on Genesis 321, he uh, kills an animal to clothe them because they, they now understand that they're naked. Before their sin, they had some kind of glorious covering that they were not naked. But whatever that glorious covering was, they lost it when they disobeyed God. Verse 21, And unto Adam and also to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And uh, there's a lot of the Lord said to these folks that we don't know about it, not every word's in here, but he had to tell them about blood redemption. And then uh, as, as time progresses, they didn't have a written word then, but 2,000 years later, we find Noah. Noah having to build a ship. Well, let's look at Genesis 7 and verse 16. Genesis 7 and verse 16. 
this ark was a, a tremendous undertaking and it took an awful long time without modern tools but uh some say it took 120 years i don't know if it took 120 or 110 but uh it was a a long time project and finally they get in and here's what's interesting let's read it verse 16 and they that went in went in male and female of all flesh as god had commanded him and the lord shut him in god closed the door on the ark i know there are songs that say uh, noah go ahead close the door all that foolishness you know they can sing about bible things and get them all wrong and, and nobody knows the difference they could care less when god closed this thing up it was sealed as tight as anything could possibly be sealed god shut them in then uh following that uh the reason why we mention noah is because this ark this ark of safety pictures the lord jesus christ if you're in him you're safe if you were in the ark you were safe though the whole world perishes and mind you there were millions of people on earth at this time after two thousand years of the population growing they're all killed now where is this theory that modern religionists come up with that god loves everybody what happened to those millions there during the flood well that theory it's it's crazy that's because people do not know the scriptures god has a people he intends to save there's a multitude of people that God just lets alone. He doesn't make anybody crazy. He doesn't make anybody an unbeliever. All he does is let them alone. They'll choose their own religion. They'll choose their own way of thinking. They'll, they'll choose their way of life. They will not believe. And that's the sad part because some of these people are so much nicer than we are so much nicer than the ones that god saves and that's what's strange god saves lost sinners and then the thing about that is that he's the one who has to show them they're lost if a person never sees their lost hell deserving condition they will never ask for mercy they'll never come to him Young people, you think you got all of your life to go. You might die tomorrow. You might die today. It's just as important for a young person, whether in junior high or high school or grade school, to come to study the scriptures and to know Christ. Because life is so uncertain. All right, there's a progression. So we leave in Noah's Ark and we go to the giving of the law. See, now Moses comes into focus here he leads the children of israel out of egypt which was a tremendous undertaking people don't realize that they see the ten commandments on tv and they see the water puddles that the people hey the bible says they went through on dry ground it was just as dry and solid and hard as could be but when pharaoh and his armies come in there with their chariots 
The Lord, well, they were, they were making such good time on this dry ground that the Lord took the chariot wheels off and then he let the waters come in on top of them. Well, let's look at Hebrews 9 and verse 9. Hebrews 9, 9. And it's going to tell you in this progression of the work that the Lord Jesus Christ had to do, it had to do with some sacrifices. So Hebrews 9, 9 is going to say, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. In other words, with this whole routine of sacrifices that God had given Israel, nobody actually had their sins forgiven, but temporarily this all looking forward to the Lord Jesus Christ, and which is going to tell us this in verse 10, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and cardinal ornaments imposed on them until the time of the Reformation. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle's his body, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, and neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. One sacrifice, one time, one offering of blood gives us eternal life. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify it to the purifying of the flesh, that's all the old-time ordinance, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So sacrifices had to come in. Uh, the, the tabernacle spoken of, it was going to be the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, he, he said that he is, he is the temple. Look at, look at John 2 verse 19. And John 2 verse 19. Jesus, uh, let's read verse 18, 18 first. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, well, What sign showest thou unto us that thou doest these things? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But you see, they didn't understand. He spake the temple of his body, and he didn't explain it to them either. Because this very first thing that they questioned him on is the very last thing they accused him of during his trial just before the crucifixion. They said he would destroy the temple and raise it again in three days. Um, that's kind of something miraculous here in the script. Shows you the Bible is God's word from top to bottom. Well, in the progression of this work being done, we find that the Bible tells us that uh, there was going to be a virgin-born person. Look at Isaiah 7 and verse 14. Isaiah 7 and verse 14. 
and this is something nobody understood until the time it happened. Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. How do the modern interpreters take that? Well, they change that word virgin there and say a young woman. So any young woman could conceive and have a man-child. That's not what this means at all. And uh, nobody understood it until the angel Gabriel explained it to Mary, said, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Then this one that's going to be formed within you is going to be called the Son of God. To this very day, people don't like this verse of Scripture. Well, let's see how this progresses. Uh, not only was he to be born of a virgin, but, boy, this is stepping way out. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, which one of us knew where we were going to be born? Well, there's no way, no way possible. Sure, you might have lived in New Orleans uh, and figured, well, you wouldn't have known it, though, because you're the one being born. But here's the Bible telling us well over 700 years before Christ was born that he's going to be born in his little village called Bethlehem. That happens to be in uh, Micah 5.2. So I always look at it this way. Look at it for Jonah, Micah. You can find Jonah, so then... Micah's right after it. Micah 5.2 on page 13.63, verse 2 in verse chapter 5. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. Well, there's a prophecy of the second coming. Our Lord never was ruler in Israel during his first coming. Here's second coming prophecy. Here's something in the sovereignty of God. Whose goings forth have been from of old. From when? From everlasting. That's telling you that it's our eternal God. God the creator is going to be born a person in Bethlehem. And to tie all things together, this Bethlehem happens to be the city where David was from, um, where David kept sheep down in that area. All right, let's look at Matthew 2 and verse 1. Matthew 2 and verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, I just that's all I want to read to you. Do you know that this year the person called the Pope of a great big religion out there in the world is telling people that the Lord Jesus Christ was born in Nazareth? And you know, nobody complained, nobody made mention. None of the big evangelists, none of the big denomination, nobody said a word. And this is what that church is being taught from this past Christmas on, that the Lord Jesus was born in Nazareth. See what we just read? When Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That's, of course, the only place he was going to be born because the Bible said that's where it was going to be and that's where it took place. All right. 
Now, and then our Lord makes a proclamation about the work he was going to do. Look at Luke 4, verse 18. Luke 4, verse 18. Okay, what's happening here? Well, our Lord has already performed a few miracles in various places in Galilee, but now he's coming home to Nazareth. This is a hometown where the carpenter shop was, where he was grown up. Now, our Lord is 30 years old. It was his custom to read in the synagogue. People all knew him. Look at verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and his, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on a Sabbath day and stood up to read. I can imagine he had the most wonderful voice of anybody in the world or anybody that's ever been in the world. You know, there have been some great singing voices. I think back in my time of Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra and Perry Como and Dean Martin, all had their own voice. But here was God in the flesh reading his word. It must have been wonderful to hear this. Verse 17, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. Is there anything in there about nice people, about religious people, about strong people, about rich people, famous? No. If you read it carefully, you're talking about the poor, the brokenhearted, captives, the blind, the bruised. How do you fit into that category? Only the Lord can show you that. The Lord's not showing everybody that they're poor, blind, naked. No. But those that he loves, he does. And then when we get down to verse 21, it says, And this day is your scripture fulfilled in your ears. And hey, they did not like that at all. They know that this was speaking about God and uh, the Messiah who is going to come, who is going to do these things. And he says, Now today you've heard it. Look at their reaction in verse 28. And all they in a synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. They wanted to kill him. In fact, they hustled him out of the synagogue, tried to take him to a cliff somewhere and throw him off, but him being God, he disappeared in their, in their midst. And uh, that's all we know about it. You see, verse 30 says, And he passing through the midst of them went his way. We don't know what happened, how he did it, but he did it. So uh, that was his proclamation, and then... Then we did read in our scripture this morning in John 17, 2, that he had the power to save everyone the Father gave him. This is the big mysterious part to us. We don't know who God intends to save. That's why preaching has to be to everybody. It has to be everywhere. We, we don't pet anybody on the back. We don't try to get anybody to be religious. We just want you to search the scriptures for yourself. See if you can find yourself in there. Can you find yourself a sinner? 
The Bible says Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you know you're lost, you can say to yourself, well, I'm one of those that he came to seek then. I'm one of those he's going to save. But you don't have any confirmation of that because as you study the scriptures, then the fear of God becomes, well, what if he doesn't save me? What if I'm not one of his? What can I do? Well, all you can do is cry. All you can do is beg. You're too proud to beg? Beg for mercy for your own self? You don't have to do it for your wife or your kids or your uncle or your aunt or your grandparents. You have got to beg for yourself. You're the lost sinner. You're the one headed for hell. But there's what? A Savior provided. All that's required is for the sinner to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It says if you believe with your heart, if you're sincere in what you believe, he'll grant you mercy. And that's the whole theme of the Bible. God has given us a substitute. You're not going to get any better. As you get older, you're going to find yourself actually getting worse. You'll find how you hate sin and how sin has a dominion over certain aspects in life. And this world is pouring it on the believer through the ears, through the eyes, through everything, the newspaper, the magazines. Everything has to do with sin. And that's the wilderness we're walking through. But all God's people have done that through all the years, all the hundreds and thousands of years God's people have had to walk through this world as a wilderness. Even uh, in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, it speaks about uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, the whole bunch in there. Look for a city that had foundations whose builder and maker was God. They, they were rich people, and they lived in tents. They didn't care to own a lot of property, didn't care about looking better than anybody else they were looking for God's city that we have described to us in the book of Revelation where we are all going to live you see people say well if a saved person going to live in heaven no you're not going to live in heaven the Bible says you're going to live in the new Jerusalem which is in heaven right now it hasn't descended yet it's going to descend one day and it's going to be where God's people are going to live. Right now when you die, you're a believer, your soul goes to heaven. The part of you that's living keeps on living. The body goes to the grave. Why? Well, it's sinful. It goes back to the dust. As we stand and live in these bodies right now, we cannot stand in God's presence because we're sinful. God hates sin. Now, how, what does the Bible describe sin as? Well, it says the very thought of foolishness is sin. Oh, the very thought of foolishness? Uh, a little off-color joke? Yeah, okay. We all laugh at those. We all think they're cute. They're all funny. The Bible says the very thought of foolishness is sin. And if that's a sin, then what kind of lawbreakers are we? Every single day. 
And yet if you know the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your filthiness, with all of your vileness, in God's eyes, you're perfect. God delights in mercy, and he grants mercy to those that come to him through his Son. Well, where does the Bible teach you that? Well, look at John 14 and verse 6. In John 14 and verse 6, our Lord Jesus Christ talking to Thomas, who's one of the disciples. Now, Thomas has been with him for three years, and you'd think he would be a pretty intelligent, bright person by now. What does Thomas say in verse 5? Thomas saith unto Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? He's just as ignorant as most people at this point. But here's the wonderful answer. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Do you get it? Is that dogmatic? Can you find there's any other way to come to the Father? It's not through a religion. It's not through a priest. It's not through a saint. It's not through an angel. There's no way to get to the Father but by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how God has set it up. So this is the work that our Lord Jesus Christ said he came to do. And then in John 17, 4, he says, I have finished the work. And you know what? He hadn't died yet. Everybody thinks that's the only work the Lord Jesus Christ did was to be crucified. No, he kept the law perfectly. He kept all of God's rules perfectly his whole life. You talk about a work. What a marvelous work keeping the law perfectly. So if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God looks upon you as if you kept everything perfect too. That's called imputation. The Bible speaks of God granting that to believers. And they know then within themselves they're the worst there is in the world. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. Every sinner the Lord Jesus Christ saves says, I'm the chief of sinners. I know a little bit about me, how vile, how filthy, how awful I am. But God gives this believer grace to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to. You have no alternative. But you know what? People don't want to believe. They don't want to read God's word. They don't want to believe what they read. And then... Satan to make sure that most people don't get to read, give you some new versions, give you all kinds of Bibles out there that say they're better than this King James Bible. And they're not. They, they're not God's Word. God's Word for English-speaking people is the King James Bible and none other. But you see, they call me being biased, being... Uh, um, just being uh, hard-headed about No, no, not hard-headed at all. I know what God's Word says, and I know there is no other God's Word for English-speaking people than the King James Bible. Some other nations 
Germans had a great Bible before we did. Uh, translations, and I only know in the United States and in England, this is God's Word. Read it, be informed, get knowledge about eternal life, get knowledge about yourself, get knowledge about Christ, find yourself a lost sinner, cry unto God, and you get mercy. You have eternal life. You're adopted into God's family. You're going to live in the new Jerusalem. And what, what else? You're going to get a new body just like his glorious body. This is our last scripture, Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21. How many times do we finish our message on this verse of scripture? Because what a wonderful way to go. Go out the door rejoicing that you're going to get a new body. You won't have to keep this old thing around you all forever. Verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking for him. Well, if you're a believer, you are. If you're not a believer in Christ, it never even occurs to you. You never give it a thought. And he's coming again. Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Well, how can he do that? Well, according to the working whereby he's able even to subdue all things unto himself. He's God. He's the creator. He's the one that threw all those stars into heaven by just speaking them into existence. This is our great God. And we're going to have a body like his. The Lord Jesus Christ has a body. It's a glorious body. The Bible does not describe to us the... Uh,